Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the LPG panel. <laughs> exactly. With us today, Anders Onaheim from BWLPG, Ted Young from Dorian, Randy Givens from Navigator Gas. If we had done this 12 years ago, these would be four, four Wall Street guys all sitting together. So obviously that's some kind of prerequisite to be on this panel. No segment, LPG must be really confusing because analysts don't seem to appreciate it enough other than ours. Investors don't seem to appreciate it enough in the last decade, five years, I don't care what period of time you want to look at, no segment in shipping has had a higher return on equity, returned more cash to shareholders, and traded a bigger discount to NAV. So clearly, clearly LPG is complicated. So Randy, you used to be an analyst. What is LPG and how do we use it? So yeah, so for LPG, liquefied petroleum gas, right, the, the biggest portion is propane, using for heating, industrial uses, and other things. For Navigator, I'll let them speak more on propane. Uh, that's kind of their specialty. For Navigator gas, right, we're trading a lot more commodities. We're trading ethane, ethylene, which is then used for polyethylene and polymers and plastics. Um, we're also trading ammonia, right, which is the key input for fertilizer, food security. Um, we're looking at butane, butadiene, propylene. So there's really seven different commodities that Navigator is actively trading today. Uh, anything from industrial uses to consumer demand, products, plastics, and other things. Uh, on the LPG side, I'll let the, these two experts talk about where that's going and what's that being used for. Well, your business sounds a lot more exciting than ours. <clears throat> but um, look, LPG, as Randy said, propane and butane, about 53% of world demand is for heating and cooking, which is great. It gives us some base inelastic demand. No matter what happens economically, you need to be warm and you need to eat. Um, next biggest segment is petrochemicals, and there's sort of two sub-segments in that. A uh, portion of that is, uh, goes into steam crackers as a feedstock, and it can be swapped out with naphtha. So one of the uh, arbitrages that uh, Anders and I look at uh, every day is the arbitrage between naphtha and LPG. Uh, on the other hand, there's been an emergence in the last several years of an old technology that sort of found its, found its time, and that's propane dehydrogenation, which is a direct on-purpose way of taking propane and making propylene. Uh, and the beauty of that from a shipper's perspective is that there's no bit away from, uh, from naphtha. So in fact, it doesn't seem that confusing to us because most people understand it's used for heating and cooking. Uh, I can't take you to the chemical reactions, but I can tell you it's petrochemicals and people should understand that. And the rest is things like auto gas and industrial uses, like you'll see it, you know, fire, you know powering uh, forklifts and that sort of thing. So uh, I agree with you, Jim. It's actually a pretty simple business, so I don't know why we don't get the love. It's clean affordable and flexible. It's actually, and we'll talk more about that, it's actually one of the few energy sources that I think has a great, both the short-term future and long-term future. So we'll come back to that. I also think you guys are lucky. You're sitting in this room, of course the small room, um, put up here, it's not a packed, it's not a packed audience. That means great opportunities. You know, if it was packed, everybody was doing this, returns wouldn't be so good. So you're the lucky ones. <laughs> So today, Randy, not for you, but today for the very large gas carriers, they're getting $74,500. Two weeks ago, they were getting $85,000. This is a Q1 from heaven. 
What happened to all the ships that were ordered and delivered? Are you surprised? Do you want to go first? You want to go? I, I think we're slightly surprised. Uh, normally, the first quarter is our weakest. And uh, we always think in the start of the quarter we should, you know, hedge a little. And uh, so we thought we did some great deals at 40 plus. <laughs> uh, don't look so great now. I, I think we were slightly surprised. But of course, I think we underestimated uh, the pent up demand from China. They needed to refill their inventories. We had some cold snaps in Japan and Korea, which really also, uh, you know, made made uh, made a big difference. And and uh, and I guess uh, the of course the order book it's it's spread out a little bit. We're we're seeing it spread out over the year, and and uh, and I think uh, we we might see an effect during the year. But at the same time, the underlying fundamentals are good enough. So I think the, certainly our concern is less. Before we go on, what are you seeing in India? Because that's an important part of your business. No, I mean, we, we see still still great demand in India. India is a very important market for us. We have established there an Indian company, JV. We have eight, eight Indian flag vessels, and uh, uh, where we're getting both premium rates and first right refusal. So it's been, it's been an important investment for us. We, we see no slowdown in demand for, in India, and, uh, and we think uh, India is going to be a great market for us also for, for a long period of time. And Ted, $70, 80 a, a day. No, it's it's fantastic. I kind of uh, share Anders's uh, view. I think we're probably pleasantly surprised uh, given the order book. But I think, uh, look, in any segment of hydrocarbon shipping, a favorable commodity price deck absolves a lot of sin. And, um, you know, right now things are firing on all cylinders. The East-West ARB is good. The LPG NAPTHARB is good. So when our customers are making money, it's kind of hard for them not to allow us to make money. And um, if they become much less price sensitive because the returns they can make on moving a cargo and, have, and if you have a ship available for their windows, um, it's a pretty um, favorable set of circumstances. And that's obviously what drives uh, the rates we're seeing today. And Randy, what's the range? You've got the smaller vessels for the most part, and you've got different routes. What are the range of day rates that you're seeing and, 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 and the level of utilization that you're seeing in your segments? Yeah, uh, so the vast majority of our ships are called handy size vessels. They're about 22,000 cubic meters compared to the very large gas carriers that are 75, 80, 82,000. Um, so we're about a quarter of the size in that regard. But we're not making 75, $80,000 a day. But two weeks ago, we had our highest rated or highest priced cargo ever uh, in the $50,000 a day for a 45-day round-trip voyage. So clearly, rates are very good. Utilization, as you asked about, uh, we reported 4Q earnings this morning. Um, 1Q is going to be even better than that, right? Um, our utilization is at 98% right now, the highest since 2014, 2015. So utilization is very strong. Rates are high, uh, and that's for ethane, ethylene, propane, propylene. And the good part for our handy size ships, again, we have that kind of diversification around commodities. So fewer and fewer of our ships are trading propane because more and more are trading ethylene, taking it from our terminal, uh, frankly, to Asia and to Europe. And we have about 20% of our vessels trading ammonia, right? So it's really split. Uh, against those three different segments, and that is pushing up rates, keeping utilization high, and right one one Q twenty three uh, is looking very good. All right, let's let's go back to let's try to make LPG simple again. So you don't necessarily need to, ha and this is for anyone, you don't necessarily need to have U.S. oil prices super high. You just need to have U.S. oil prices at a level where production 
grows because as, as nobody drills for propane, so as you find more oil, take us through the math of how much LPG you find and how important is the arbitrage between prices, cheap prices here and more expensive prices you know, in Asia. You do that since you're the local. Oh, I'm the local, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so to answer those uh, sort of in reverse, um, it seems like the sweet spot for, um, at least judging by how investors think about it, and I guess how the industry looks at it, somewhere in that 60 to 80, maybe $85 barrel range always seems to be pretty good um, because, like Jim said, there's uh, significant drilling going on, significant production going on, um, but it's also not stifling uh, economic growth or creating infl an overly inflationary environment, which is kind of important. Um, you know, no one has ever produced a metric ton of LPG on purpose. Um, it kind of varies, so, so it does come from two sources, um, well, really three, but it comes from uh, oil and gas production and oil refining. Um, in the U.S., we actually get more of our more of our LPG from natural gas production, about 60-40, whereas the rest of the world gets it more from oil production. You know, how much, Jim, really depends on where you're drilling. You know, right now, uh, the Permian's in, in, in favor, um, and, the, and where they are drilling in the Permian right now is particularly natural gas liquid rich, and that's great for our business because... Um, you know, there, there's plenty of there's plenty of uh, uh, NGLs coming out of the ground as they're drilling all this oil and gas. And look, this is gravy for these guys. Um, you know, in the old days when guys used to flare LPG, that was one of the things you'd see coming out of those uh, stacks in the oil patch. Um, you know, they had nothing to do with it. Well, now there's um, substantial global demand for LPG. As Anders said, it's a clean fuel. Um, it's got all sorts of wonderful uh, environmental uh, attributes, properties, and on top of that, um, it's relatively cheap to transport, and we don't require all the major uh, last-mile infrastructure and shoreside infrastructure that LNG does. So from that perspective, um, you know, the, the the setup is good. Again, so what, what do we see going on? The economics are favorable for drilling, particularly in the Permian, but also, and I'm probably getting ahead of the questions here a little bit, but as we've seen Russian oil production shift away from Russia and towards, say, the Middle East and also the U.S., um, you know, last year we saw double-digit export growth from the Middle East in LPG. We haven't seen that in quite a while. Um, and that's really a function of that. Russia was not a big LPG producer. Um, it produced sort of 6 million metric tons of LPG. About 2.5, 3 million of it went out of uh, Luga, where Randy ships would call, and the rest of it went on rail cars to you know, Central Europe and the stands. Um, so they really, it didn't really affect our business. But what has affected our business quite positively has been the shift of oil and gas production to other parts of the world that have a more robust uh, LPG export infrastructure. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, we, um, we continue to see favorable uh, growth. And I don't think we see, don't we see any capacity constraints either in the U.S. at the moment. Of course, the U.S. is still the most important market for us. And so, uh, so I would just echo that. I think, uh, I think uh, as long as we see, uh, you know, uh, decent, decent prices, uh, uh, oil and gas, we will have LPG. So let's, let's talk about the macro environment now. And let's pretend that the U.S. goes into recession. Let's pretend that Europe slows down. Uh, 
Is that something we need to worry about, or can India and China continue to absorb all the supplies that we come out of the U.S. and the Middle East? Yeah, I'll chime in quickly. You know, shipping is certainly a cyclical business, but it's more cyclical for China and India, right, than the U.S. Um, so for us, lower prices domestically and higher prices internationally make a great combination, right? So the, that spread that they were speaking of, when you have a, a possible slowdown uh, domestically here in the U.S., but India, China reopening, and demand there continues to, to climb, we like that, right? That's fine for our, our spreads. For ethylene, for example, right, when you have U.S.-based ethane at $400 a ton, U.S.-based ethylene at $500 a ton, but delivering it into Asia, you're getting $1,100 a ton, or even Europe, $1,000 a ton. That five to $600 per ton spread is meaningful when it comes to the freight that you can charge for that. So frankly, you know, it, it's certainly, we are part of the global economy, but as long as China and India is ramping, if the U.S. kind of slows down, it could be good, but certainly could be still okay for a company like us. I still think that, um, you know, in our market, it's, it is supply-driven. I think as long as there is supply, it will find a home, and 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 that's why we see you know again when there's when there's plenty of plenty of inventory in the U.S. it has to be moved, and we do see the price goes to a level where it moves, and I think that's 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 really important. I think LPG is also we don't need a lot of investments in infrastructure, so so even in the slow slow down the economy, I think we can we can still see LPG as as a very attractive attractive energy source. So I think the demand side, to me, is, is not a big concern. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with, with all that. And I think, you know, on, in, in addition, look, there is a favorable secular shift going on in the petrochemical segment, right? Naphtha's dirty. Um, you know, people, um, uh, there's a lot of environmental pressure not to use naphtha. Um, and so as, as we talked about, you know, 50-plus percent of LPG is really sort of base energy demand for large portions of the world. So we've got that going for us. We have a secular shift going in our favor in the next sort of 25 to 30 percent of world demand. So look, global recessions affect everybody. The, you know, that pet chem segment is affected by global industrial demand, and that's certainly going to be affected in, in, in a global recession. But on the other hand, you know, I'd expect to see LPG hopefully take an increasing portion of that pie, in, even in the event of uh, an economic slowdown. Let's, let's, let's just jump to LNG for a second. Did the high, did the high natural gas prices of this past September, August, Q2, did that help LPG demand? Conversely, is the weakness that we're seeing in natural gas prices now, is there a risk that could, that could eat back some of the pie? I, I think um, we saw some effect of the you know high price differential between uh, between LNG and LPG you know past year, but it was not meaningful. It was not. I, it didn't move the needle when it came to demand. And I think although we saw you know some some mixing of LPG into LNG flows and so forth, but uh, and it was difficult to get a, you know a good a good number of what it actually meant. Uh, so uh, so to me it's it was it didn't move the needle at that time. It's not going to move the needle this time either, even though we see weaker weaker LNG prices. Um, I think that's probably accurate. I think where I'd, where I'd, where I'd, I'd say, you know, look, the, the, the differential on a dollar per BTU basis was massive, but LPG and LNG generally are not interchangeable. 
Um, but obviously it did help us a little bit because that encouraged more LNG production. Um, but it also, you know, as markets always do, it encouraged more uh, coal consumption in Europe and, you know, uh, Nobody likes coal, so you know now the LNG price is back down. Still, levels where it's very profitable for guys to produce. So, um, you know, I think we we uh, I think Anders is right. It probably didn't hurt us too much on the way up. Probably doesn't hurt us too much on the way down. Uh, Randy, geopolitics. How has that impacted your trades in the last twelve months? Sure. Um, I guess starting with Russia, Ukraine. Right, the biggest thing that we saw the impacts is on ammonia, right? So instead of Western Europe importing ammonia from Russia and Ukraine, uh, they did not, right? They were not able to, so they had to look further afield, um, be that here in uh, the U.S. or Latin America uh, or Middle East. So they had to get it from longer distances. Secondly, a lot of the Western European countries stopped using natural gas to produce ammonia, right? They needed it for more important things. So because of that, we went from two or three ships uh, trading ammonia a year, year and a half ago, kind of before the war broke out, to a peak of 11 vessels. We have 57, so about 20% of our vessels trading ammonia. So that ammonia trade really took off uh, following the Russia-Ukraine uh, war, and it's con continued that strength. Uh, we saw some other dislocations. You know, there's uh, Iran. Uh, we had a cabotage trade in Venezuela. So there's a lot of geopolitical e events that are affecting our business. Um, but for the most part there, uh, I think the, the Russian-Ukraine, I think that's top of mind for everyone still today. Uh, that's, that's been the biggest impact on the ammonia uh, trade for us. And as far as the VLGC segment? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's no, uh, there's no, VLGCs aren't really trading in the Black Sea, um, so we haven't seen any of that. As I touched on, you know, we've clearly, as a sector, benefited from the shift of, of oil production away from Russia towards the Middle East, which has produced more LPG, but um, Iran has always been a constant uh, thorn in, in, in the industry side. There are about 12 ships that are uh, sort of dedicated to that trade. They're quite old. That's all they can do. Um, Anders and uh, my firm don't touch that stuff for obvious sanctions reasons. Um, you know, so, so again, it's been, you know, sort of very uh, laser-focused in terms of its impacts, I'd say. I think <clears throat> we are one of the sectors that benefited from it. I think clearly, as you said, uh, you know, production going up in the U.S., uh, you know, because energy prices simply uh, really is helping us. So, so I think we've been benefiting from the from the you know these these uh, troubles. Now, of course, with the, with the recent uh, recent uh, sort of issues now on the banking side and so forth, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, because I think. Uh, Obviously, uh, there's been talk about ESG earlier today and important, how important it is to, 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 to be compliant. I think as, as an industry, we, we have already made some great strides, and I think LPG is going to prove to be a, you know, a longer-lived uh, uh, fuel and a longer-lived energy source, just simply because there's going to be questions asked now. How quickly can we make this change? How quickly can we go from... from uh, fossil fuels to this green. You know, I jokingly say with some of my banking friends, you know, are you sure you're going to get no, your money back? And I think that's a rel relevant question right now. So let's go back to uh, how securities are valued. And so if I do a screen on price earnings, which I don't like, you know, enterprise value to EBITDA, price, price to NAV, I don't care how I screen it. This segment stands out as being crazy cheap. So we can't, we can't tackle it all, but at least let's talk a little bit about the NAV and 
pushback I used to hear a couple of years ago was there's not enough secondhand sales to justify the NAVs, but well, that's kind of changed because you guys have all bought and sold uh, vessels. Take us through that. I'll start since we sold, I think we sold uh, more than 20 ships in the last three years. Uh, we sold them at 35% premium to, the, uh, to our book values, closer net as a values. And, uh, so I think that shows that this market has become more liquid. Of course, the fleet is getting larger also. So, so the net asset value argument that we should not trade close to net asset value, I think, uh, does not hold anymore. Um, yeah, I'd say, um, you know, we sold some ships as well. I think, um, look, there's, there's ample evidence of, of, the, of secondhand values. Okay, I can, I, can, I can respect the fact that notwithstanding uh, the bevy of sales of, you know, I'd say middle-aged tonnage, sort of eight to 12 years, there have admittedly been almost no transactions involving modern tonnage. Uh, so that probably does put a little bit of a damper on R2 valuations. Um, on the other hand, if you look at, um, uh, you know, another way to look at it, Jim, which is free, free cash flow to equity to market cap, uh, both of our yields are ridiculous. Um, and, um, you know, that's, hey, that's great for investors. Why we're not getting credit for it? Well, that's, uh, I'd, I'd say, a, a perennial source of frustration. But it's, it's, you know, not only is the floor, we can debate the floor, i.e. being NAV, but the cash flow yield is, is really quite compelling. And I'm looking at an equity basis. So, you know, taking account of, look, you can either use, don't add back depreciation, take that as a charge for maintenance, CapEx, um, look at the actual dry docking expense, do whatever you want. But after debt service and, you know, making sure that we're keeping our ships properly maintained, not just for the here and now, but for the long term, um, these businesses generate extraordinary returns to, to equity. And when measured against uh, the market caps, it's, it's, uh, it's quite, um, it's quite eye-opening. Just before Randy, uh, before you go, I mean, I think also, of course, we, we suffer a little bit of that we're a small sector, you know, we're not, uh, not a lot of big companies. And so, and it's, as you said, Jim, it's a little hard to understand. It's this byproduct and it's, uh, so, so, uh, but hopefully with these panels and with, uh, with, uh, you know, good communication and, and just, you know, at least demonstrating value creation, I think over time, I think investors will appreciate that. Yeah, and then uh, to speak on the NAV, as an analyst, right, I covered six different sectors. Um, LPG was one of them. And for dry bulk, for crew tankers, products tankers, uh, even container ships in recent years, there was a lot of liquidity in the secondhand market. So I could easily say a five-year-old Cape is worth this, a five-year-old V is worth this, a five-year-old 6,800 TEU container ships worth this. On the LPG side, it was a lot harder to value, right? Um, and we're working with Vessels Values and others to kind of bring them up to speed. But we sold our oldest ship a few months ago, um, the Majestic. We bought five secondhand modern ships uh, in the meantime. So there is starting to be some more liquidity in it. But as you mentioned, we are certainly undervalued relative to an EV VITA multiple, to a price to nav, and we're putting our money where our mouth is, right? We announced a $50 million share buyback program a few months ago. We announced this morning that we already used 25, a little more than 25 million of it. Uh, so we have about 25 million left and we continue to, to remain in the market. So I, I think there's certainly that disconnect uh, between earnings and equities and we've seen that over the years and we're certainly seeing in the last two weeks. So your stock is trading at less than 70 cents on the dollar of NAV, including today's rally. Your stock is trading well over 80 cents on the dollar. Is there, is there a listing arbitrage here? Ted, you take it. <laughs> um, you know, I think that I, I, the, I, I don't, the short answer is I don't know. Um, 
the, 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 the common wisdom from folks in your seat, Jim, has been that um, at, uh, as we're going into a higher cycle, the valuation uh, metric shift from uh, PNAV to price earnings, um, and uh, the Norwegian market is historically always been, uh, dare say, religiously devoted to uh, price NAV multiples. So, you know, perhaps in that regard there is a bit. Um, you know, looking at our two securities, I mean, um, obviously, you know, uh, different people have different methodologies for valuing NAV. Um, there's also, you know, currency noise that goes into um, the, the BW stock. It's quoted in, in, uh, in, in Kroner or quoted in dollars. Um, so um, there, there, there's noise. I don't know that there's a listing arbitrage, but uh, there is... Uh, there, there may be times in the cycle when um, one market over the other prizes different things. I think there is, uh, there is a liquidity argument. I think that clearly the U.S. market is uh, deeper and, uh, and more liquid. And, uh, of course, the investor base also is, is greater. So I think, Teddy, you're right also. I think in Norway, traditionally, it's always been priced NAV that's been, been the focus. And, and I, to me, I, I think that's frustrating. I think we should be viewed on returns. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, I think... Uh, Last year, we had a return on capital employed of above 12%. I think that's pretty good. Let's circle back to where we would have started if I didn't go on this educational path of LPG and give each one of you, because your businesses are each different. So, Randy, I'll start with you. Take us through your, your business model and, and your business. Uh, so yeah, as I mentioned, our core is really that 22,000 cubic meter handy size vessels, giving us a lot of optionality around what ports we go in and out of, a lot of optionality on the commodities we carry, right, up to seven. Um, so that's kind of our, our bread and butter. But also, uh, we have a large project for an ethylene export terminal. Uh, our partner there is a 50-50 joint venture with Enterprise Products Partners, a large midstream pipeline company, and that's down in Morgan's Point, Texas, about 20 miles east of my house in Houston. Um, so with that, we are exporting ethylene. We announced um, recently that we are expanding that. So we already have capacity for 1 million tons per year. Uh, last year, we just announced this morning, we did around 987,000 tons, right? So pretty much right at nameplate capacity. And demand is there. So we are expanding it by somewhere between 550 to possibly up to 2 million more tons. So there's a large range here um, and some project details. But it's going to be a substantial expansion. So that gives us a lot of cash flow stability, cash flow visibility from the offtake, and it also pushes more ethylene, more product onto our ships that we're taking to Europe, that we're taking to Asia. So for that, you know, our, our volatility, even back to the shipping side, great day rates for us on a one-year time charter on a handy size ships, maybe 35,000 a day. Bad rates for us is 15,000 a day. So that's really our range, right? In our EBITDA break-evens, less than 10,000 a day. So we are always cash flow positive, always positively generating EBITDA. Uh, so that's, that's our cycle, right? A lot less volatile than the Vs uh, or VLCCs or Cape Sizes or a lot of other sectors. So, you know, people talk about the shipping and the volatility in shipping. It is there, but relative to other segment sizes or other shipping segments, uh, Navigator is certainly more muted, plus the cash flow visibility from the terminal side. So that's why I think our, our valuation on a price to nav, that's one way to look at us, but also on the EV EBITDA, right, because of that more stable EBITDA uh, cash flow generation. Balance sheet is in arguably the best shape we've ever been in, no maturities till 2025. Um, so a lot of good things going on over at NVGS. Ted, take us through your business. Okay. Um, 
so look, Dorian uh, is uh, you know, major owner operator, I guess uh, second largest in the industry behind our friends here at BW of uh, VLGCs. That's all we do. We're a proverbial pure play. Uh, we kind of talk through the dynamics of, of what drives our business. Um, we uh, jointly operate a pool uh, called the Helios LPG pool with our uh, partners at uh, Phoenix Tankers, which is part of MOL. Uh, we have therefore a virtual presence in Singapore to go with uh, our, our physical presence in Copenhagen where we do the rest of our chartering. Um, we operate our, our ships technically in-house. Um, we think that that is an advantage. Uh, we believe it allows us to be uh, immediately responsive to any issues as they arise. Um, we think that certain charters prize that. Um, you know, uh, again, we, we, we have similar fundamentals to our peers. I'd say we have taken, um, uh, in, in, rec in, in recent times, um, we have take, we've been actively uh, paying dividends. Our peers have too. We've classified ours and continue to classify ours as irregular. Um, we think it is challenging for shipping to be tied to uh, mathematical equations to dictate what uh, you know what sort of a visit, what sort of dividend policy one should have because. Shipping's volatile, as we've all said, and eventually the tide will turn and people will have to cut their dividends. Um, we have, you know, sort of three months of really good cash earnings visibility, and that's the basis on which our board makes its determination for, for, for dividends. We'll continue to do that. Um, our investors have seemingly been very happy, judging by our, our total shareholder return over the last uh, 18, 24 months. Um, and so I think, you know, as we look forward, um, we will continue to be smart allocators of capital. If you look at this year, we're taking delivery of four ships, one of which we will own. The other three are on long-term time charters with purchase options. Why? Because we could not build the ships at the cost uh, or, or at the charter rate at which our, our owners uh, are going to receive on the, on the deal we're going to do. So again, it was smarter for us to time charter in those assets than it was to build those assets. We got into the right point in the cycle on the one new build. Um, and those returns work for us. So again, we want to continue to be uh, disciplined capital allocators, benefiting from the secular, uh, secularly favorable trends in, in global LPG transport, most of which inures to very large gas carriers. We're the, the cheapest uh, way to transport a metric ton of LPG long haul. And um, you know that coupled with a smart capital allocation strategy should deliver good returns to investors. Yeah, uh, yeah. As as, um, as Ted said, we are the largest uh, VLGC owner. We own and operate 48 ships. Uh, we've been the larger for a long time. Still, three years ago, we decided we need to look at our strategies. How can we, how can we secure that position? Uh, we saw, you know, several of our customers, traders, uh, ordering ships and, and moving into our space. We, you know, and, uh, and so we made a decision. We're going to. We both. We need to. We need to renew our fleet. And that we did by uh, by making making uh, an investment decision. We were the pioneers of these dual fuel L L LPG engines. So we now have converted 15 ships, you know, to and they're all in water, you know, to LPG. They can run on LPG. That's both uh, uh, from an environmental perspective, of course, very positive. It's also financially making good sense for us. We're earning about five thousand dollars a day extra by by burning LPG. So that was an important decision for us. And when we've been selling, as I said, old ships and, and, and really at good prices, we also decided we need to we need to look more into the value chain. And so we, we dipped our toes. We, we, we looked into product trading. We, we started on a small scale uh, three years ago. And we've been trading then one million tons uh, the past couple of years. 
Now, just a few months back, we announced the acquisition of the LPG trading team from Vilma, and uh, and that's that integration has gone very well. Uh, we decided this has given us, you know, much more, much better information on the product flows, much more optionality, op opportunities to long-term contracts, and of course, we want to make money on it too. So, so, uh, so that's been to us a very important investment decision. Um, there's always concern when you when you go into go into you know trading because of course our customers are thinking okay are you going to start just you know talking your own book and or are you going to be a good, still a good quality shipping operator i'm very proud of the fact that uh, and we announced this in our last earnings uh, update uh, vtol has actually put four of their ships into our pool and you know i think that says something about the quality and the and the uh, the uh, you know respect they have for for operations so i'm very happy about that of course, also with the, with the, with the good times, we've also we've also stepped up our dividend policy. Uh, we've until until uh, recently we we had the policy we pay 75% of our net profits uh, when our leverage below 30%. We also just announced when the leverage goes below 20%, we'll pay 100%. And I can promise you that's not far away. That takes us to the end of our time. If there's something that you're dying to say, now would be the time to say it. If you want to ask a question, you could either ask it now or, or when we leave the stage. And uh, I thank you gentlemen for joining me today, and I thank you for listening to us. Good job, Jim.